Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And this is a part two of a two-part series that we are doing on what topic, Landon? The Book of Abraham. The Book of Abraham. My favorite <laughs> shelf breaking. <laughs> it is. Oh, my goodness. When you kind of take a survey of people, most of them say, you know, it kind of started with the book of Abraham. And sometimes I wonder if that's because think about growing up. We all sat there with our scriptures, bored to death in church meetings. And what do you do? You turn to the book of Abraham because there's some interesting drawings. You try to figure out what's what you re you actually probably read the legend. I know I did, you know, try to understand. And then, you know, you maybe kind of have a fondness for it, right? And then you get older and you start finding out, oh, even the church itself is saying it's not what we thought it was when we were growing up. Yeah, that was the shelf breaker for me was actually looking at the facsimiles after having just watched a show about uh, the uh, Rosetta Stone. And I said, well, if this is Egyptian, we should be able to read it, right? So I went home, looked up on BYU's website, and I found out that we could read it. And it didn't say anything <laughs> close to what the Book of Abraham says. So that was the shelf breaker for me. And there it is. And then that throws you into a whole bunch of apologetics, which I'm sure most of our audience is familiar with, that they didn't have the piece of the scroll that it was translated from. Well, that's not true. We have all the scroll that it was a catalyst. He sort of touched or was around the scroll and all this you know, information came into his head and he wrote it down, but it still clearly says written by the hand of Abraham. So I don't know. It's very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And we just had a great uh, part one. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're going to dive back into part two uh, and we'll kind of pick up where we left off. Uh, so if you haven't watched part one, you'll want to watch part one first because we're picking up right where we left off. Yeah, for sure. And our guest today is the amazing Elder Igloo or his real name, Andrew Snowbridge. And we came across him when he just posted this incredible slide presentation and some information about the book of Abraham on Reddit. And everybody was kind of buzzing about it. And I contacted him on the side and I said, hey, would you be willing to ever come talk about this? And this was a while ago. He actually came and talked to our book club um, about over a year ago about it and really well received. And a lot of people said, this is incredible. It's finally helped me understand exactly what's up with the book of Abraham. <laughs> so he was very nice to come back on Mormonish and to kind of dive into that with all of us and, and try to make it more accessible because it's very, very complex. I mean, some podcasters that we know pretty much only talk about that, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yep. it's definitely complex. And Elder Igloo's done a good job of making a lot of yep. slides to show you that the apologetics that we hear just can't be accurate uh, exactly. because you see how much effort went into attempting to translate this. Yep. Uh, that it certainly was not, uh, you know, just something that was uh, put in his head. Uh, yeah. he, he was clearly attempting to translate these characters. Yeah, and that's kind of the smoking, smoking gun for the whole thing, is that it does show Joseph and his friends, you know, writing characters down, filling notebooks, you know, saying, here's where it is on the papyri, here's what I think it means. So yeah, to me, the catalyst theory is right out the window, because it was yeah. certainly not a, oh, moment it was really hard work back and forth in a notebook kind of a and, thing so and if the catalyst theory is out the direct translation is definitely yes. out because we yes. know exactly what it says yeah so <laughs> i don't know what, what that leaves is. you with i'll tell you what it leaves you with and i feel like this is where all apologetics are going i'm going to say it now another dimension I'm not kidding that that somehow what they translated is in another dimension or it happened in another dimension I think that's the only place they can go the only place left that's safe they're certainly leaving them, painting themselves into a corner. 
Yes, that's it. So, all right, enough about this. Let us proceed with part two. And like Landon said, if you have not watched part one, we will link that in the show notes of part two. Um, I would highly suggest that you watch that first. We did tape it all together and kind of cut it in half. So it's a very cohesive um, uh, episode, just happens to be in two parts. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you, everybody. Okay, so we're getting to the actual, we're kind of going in chronological order here, right? So the Gale is probably finishing up, but now we're starting to get into, okay, let's translate this thing, right? So um, we've got all these scraps of papyri. Where should we look for the characters of, in the manuscripts, right? There's some that come from the alphabets, but there's all these other ones that we don't, right, don't know. So um, really interesting thing is the book of Abraham text itself gives us a clue of where to look. So in Abraham um, chapter one, verse 12, it says, the priest laid violence upon me that you may, that you may have knowledge of this altar. I will refer you to the re representation at the commencement of this record. And so I think uh, they were thinking that this is like Hebrew. So you read right to left. And so if we look at here's, what became facsimile one, which has the priest and the altar. We should look just, this is probably the beginning, right? Because it's at the commencement of the record. So it would make sense that the text of the book of Abraham starts here, right? Well, that's exactly what, what looks like happened is um, starting here in character. So, as we go through these, I just label, I number these, the order that they're in, in the manuscript with these little red numbers so you can kind of keep track. Um, but yeah, so this is <clears throat> manuscript C, which is the most complete from that era. And so character one, two, three, four, five, and so on to the next page. Um, and so it's like this, right, in the margins. And all those characters, are right here in this blue box on these so chapters what is it like uh, chapter one through two verse 16 or something like that um it's all in, in his mind it's all right here in these couple of lines right <laughs> and how many characters are in there for our listeners there are not very many characters uh that somehow morph themselves into several chapters um of the book right. of abraham just a few characters yeah, we'll see the, the final number here on the next slide. I, I can't remember exactly what the number is. But um, so that's what we're going to go through is character by character here and see what uh, what's and you see there's there's actually a big chunk missing out of this. So what did Joseph do there? OK, so we'll zoom in on that little blue section. And then um, this first part here is damaged, right? But so we'll come back to that. But if you start looking at where there's actual characters still intact, it's, you can see it's one for one very clearly, right? Of, of the, uh, the lighter uh, tan here is from the actual Book of Abraham manuscript. Um, but then in these damaged areas, you see kind of a different style of character going on. And if you kind of imagine about how much space each character is taking, you could you could imagine they would each fit in there, right? Um, the other thing to point out is characters one and two 
um, are probably actually are real characters, Egyptian characters. Um, and so the, the thought is that this, if you look at other books of breathings, it's like, okay, those are probably about the right characters that should be in the beginning. And so this ink was probably still there um, in 1835, but has since flaked off. But then these sections here from character three to six and so on, were probably missing to begin with. Um, and so, you know. So they're just making it up. They're filling in the blank. They're making it up. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we'll see here in the next slide. We've got uh, Egyptian characters, then we go to non-Egyptian characters, and then back to Egyptian characters. Right, exactly. And you can tell they're, um, we'll see, in these these spaces where they're having to, where he's having to invent characters, he's drawing upon the information in the alphabets in the Gale to help with that. Um, but then in the, when there's actual real Egyptian characters, it seems much more just on the fly kind of thing. So just for completeness, here's the rest of the characters that are in that manuscript. Um, so they did an all right job of, of transcribing them here. Um, but yeah, so, so some, somehow he's coming up with what should be in these damaged areas, right? So how is he doing that? Well, um, <laughs> this is what this is what Lucy Smith uh, reported, at least. She said, um, when Joseph was reading the papyrus, he closed his eyes and held a hat over his face, and that and that the revelation came to him, and that where the papyrus was torn, he could read the parts where they were destroyed equally well as those that were there. And anybody who knows, you know, the seer, the rock and the Urim and Thummim, seer stone, it's no surprise, right, that Joseph claimed he could read the plates when they were off in the woods via the seer stone, or he could read the, the some verses in the Bible, or what was it, the, um, in John, he was reading like a lost parchment of John uh, through the seer stone and, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, he's using his, his prophetic gift to restore the characters. It's, I don't think I'd ever heard that there was a hat involved in the translation uh, for the book of Abraham. I'm not surprised, like you say, but I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah, so. This actually answers a lot for me. I now understand why archaeologists always have those cool hats. Because um, they're always having to go like this. They're always having to, I get it. I get it. Indiana Jones sense. is. That's right. <laughs> but in this case, it doesn't mention a stone. It just says that he held the hat over it. You know, I can see what yeah. he's doing here. He's yeah. tired of working with his friends. He goes, just a minute. I'm going to be translating. He leans back. He puts the hat over his head. He takes <laughs> a nap for like 15 minutes. Then he wakes up and he starts making up characters again. I got you, Joseph. Man, with, with stories like that, you'd make a great apologist. <laughs> yeah, I do know <laughs> Anything's possible, right? Anything's um, possible. So I did, I did actually, let me say, I did actually get myself oh, a seer stone. You yeah. do have um, one. That's a beautiful one. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's super awesome. So wow. uh, I didn't want to leave that in the hat. That would knock you out if you actually put <laughs> yeah, the hat Yeah, that's kind there. of a large <laughs> seer stone. <laughs> I did try it. I didn't see anything. So... Um, um, just not faithful enough. Just I mean, not trying yeah, hard enough. Right you got to keep going. That's right. Um, so 
anyway, that's this is really the only evidence we have of someone saying how those missing characters came to, came to be restored. Hmm. Um, so okay, so now let's look at can we compare the Book of Abraham English text to the English text that's in the Gale and see if there's any relationship there. So the first three verses are kind of special in that there seems to be one method of linking these up uh, for the first three where they're actually keyed to the, the English text. So this is in key to one. It's kind of doesn't look like it, but you can see it there. And then the second character is two. So, um, and the, this, the little hook here is keyed to Abraham. So from uh, the previous podcast, right, you'll see that was Abraham's name, apparently, or not. Um, <laughs> or not. And then, um, yeah, then we get this father of the faithful lineage stuff going on. So, but al already you see they're not, it's not being keyed to the text, right? And then pretty soon, there's actually not much relationship between or the characters that are being translated aren't even in the Gale, right? So it kind of moves past that. Um, but for those first three, you can actually see a pretty strong correlation between these expanded degrees and the actual text of the Book of Abraham. And so, you know, obviously there were some tweaks from the original manuscript to actually being printed. But if you go pull out your quad and open it up, you should be able to follow along with these verses here um, pretty closely. And so, yeah, you see the land of the Chaldeans, um, having seen, saw, myself, you know, I, Abraham, saw man's first residence, residence, right? Um, firstborn, fathers. So you can see it's not like, it's not a super clean system, right? But you can definitely see there's some connection going on there. And one of the, um, <laughs> if one of the apologetics, right, is that the Gale and the alphabets are a reverse translation later on by the scribes, right? And so that's, that's a really convoluted way to try to describe it. And then also we have all this, the Joseph journal entries and Joseph Smith history saying, you know, I was working on this alphabet. <laughs> so, but even then, if you allow, okay, maybe that's not right for whatever reason, then you actually can't, as you go further, there's so much more content in the alphabet in the Gale that you can't get from the book of Abraham. And you can't really get a lot of stuff from the book of Abraham that's in the Gale, or if you go the other way, right, even. So it's like you need someone creating all of this content. And that is your translator, your prophet, seer, and revelator. He's coming up with all this stuff, right? So um, anyway, so that's the first verse. Um, yeah, from what you're showing here, I would think he's going backwards um, because he's going in and saying, so... I could see that, but then, yeah, you're saying the journals are saying, no, he was working on the alphabet before he did the translation, so. Well, I guess I should caveat that for these first three verses, 
I could see an argument either way. The rest he could have written the first three verses and then started working on the alphabet. Right. Because he might have just translated the first couple of characters and then said, Oh, wait, we need to go and do this other effort. Maybe he ran out of ideas and needed some time That's to work on it. Yeah, no, uh, I actually think that. Yeah. Yeah. So then these first three characters kind of maybe give his associates a good feel for, okay, this is actually working. This is a system here. And then he doesn't really need to do that for the rest. Uh, so you'll see. You'll that makes see sense. Kind of busy yeah. work for everybody, busy work in, in the grammar and the gale and all that. And then he just starts with his hat telling everybody what's in there. It doesn't even have to really have anything, any connection to any of the alphabet that they put up after a certain point. Yeah, 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 and we'll see that. So this is another one of the special cases, the second character, um, father of many nations, follower of righteousness, um, one who keeps the commandments of God. And another, so I, I kind of think the, the reverse translation of these first couple characters does make some sense if you look at how choppy if you just try to read that english text it's so choppy it's like different thoughts just kind of stuck next to each other and so i could see how maybe that's what was happening either way here right um this this shows to me a rep a, a, a repetitive process you know when when you describe someone you might go you know three levels when you describe him uh, you know, here is the king, the powerful, mighty uh, destroyer of nations. You know, you give you you give three different descriptions of him, and that almost sounds like, okay, he's a follower of righteousness. He's one who possesses knowledge. He's you know, it, these are adjectives of the person, uh, and he's trying to, and then so he actually does that in the writing. He he describes that exact thing: a father of many nations a prince of peace, one who keeps the commandments of God, a rightful heir. Oh, there's my levels. There's my degrees. Right. There you go. And then, um, yeah, just another interesting thing is that it doesn't get the little hook until it goes into the gale. So it's drawn like more straight here. Huh. This little crook in it, but yeah, it doesn't get the full Captain Hook effect until the gale. And then ironically, um, in the actual manuscript, it presumably would have had the hook too, but it got cut with a razor blade huh? right there. So some of the characters are actually cut on the left, far left edge. Hmm. Um, okay, so we're getting to the last of like the good matches here. This is the kind of talking about the birthright, the promises of the fathers, kind of coming towards like more like the covenant slash priesthood kind of stuff um and so and then this is the uh kaya broam character that uh was in the papyri and then kind of evolved eventually into this like a little thing i don't know what uh but it does look like a guy with a staff and these other ones um yeah so from coming down from the beginning of time, even from the beginning or before the foundation of the earth down to the present time, the firstborn. So he's starting to get into, you know, the, one of the major themes of the book of Abraham is the priesthood having been bestowed from the beginning and being more of a lineal thing 
rather than like a charismatic thing. Um, so, so this character right here that we're looking at, that is verse three. That one character makes up verse three. And yeah, and even possibly more because usually I would put the end here. It might be like verse, the verses were added later, right? So they, they don't always line up with the character. So, so it, it's, it's representing all of this text here at least. Yes. That one symbol. Yeah, that's really important for everybody to understand. This is exactly what we're talking about. One character yeah. equals a boatload, if I can say that, oh. of text, and that is a magical worldview. You, that's you even think, possible. You think of a kid trying to learn this alphabet, and they'd see this symbol, let's call it A. Instead of learning uh, A, or A, they're learning that character, and they're learning it as uh coming down from the beginning right by birth and also by blessing and by promise promises made yep. a father of many nations a prince of peace one who keeps the commandments of god a patriarch a rightful heir a high priest <laughs> changed from the first by the coming up from the beginning yep. right of birth or lineage and all the way down he'd have to memorize that entire that's thing right in order for that to to have any and the teacher would say jimmy i don't understand why you can't get this the rest of the <laughs> students are getting this but again this is how an incantation or a spell works that it is a symbol yeah. and then when you see that symbol you know it's this spell that represents power right. you and you know the spell this is how it works in a magic world view right or like you could think of okay this symbol means patriarch right mm -hmm. if it's like a one one symbol for one word kind of thing um, and then someone could, they have all their other cultural contexts and ideas of what patriarchs are, what they do. Yeah. So that would maybe be more like a loose translation kind of thing where it's more coming from you and your context. Yeah. Um, but, but, but that's not a writing system because no, no. if you exactly. think of it one way and someone else doesn't think of it the same way, it's, exactly. it's, it's no system at all. <laughs> right. Unless you're believing that this is um, super, a supernatural thing is going on here. And yes. you're somehow getting transmitted what Abraham was saying or writing or whatever. Right. That's yep. what I and I believe he did believe it. Just like yeah. when I was in third grade and I believed that I was reading and, and, and understanding an alien language. Because my friends and I all convinced ourselves we were. But you can do that. <laughs> You can do and, that. <laughs> and, and look at that sound. It, this isn't ah, uh, ba, ah. Uh, it's kaya brom, kaya bra oam, zub zul oan. That's multiple sounds <laughs> that yeah. you're creating. That's not an alphabet in that case. Uh, we, we'd have to have Dr. John give us the <laughs> what, what type <laughs> that is when you have multiple sounds like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not an alphabet. Uh, yeah. They really do seem to love Z, though. There's a lot of Zs in all of this. Zip, zip, zoom, zub, zibbo, zoo. <laughs> I, I think that's when you ask. Uh, the reason I brought that up is when you ask little kids things. Yeah. Z seems to be a sound that you go to when you're making up yep. words because when you're making we don't have very up. many yep. words with Z, so you can just yep. zubba and you've got a yeah. word. It's yeah. Easy to come yep. up. with. <laughs> I, I will not argue with that. Yep, have you ever? Right watched um sermons or or services where people are speaking in tongues mm, i've seen it on video yeah you know so I, I, <clears throat> it seems to me that each person kind of has their favorite sounds or group of sounds that they use that's just kind of you know i don't know 
hits them in the right spot, right? In the, uh, in the brain where it kind of feels good. Where it's like, maybe Z was that for Joseph. Uh, Interesting. Like his go-to syllable. <laughs> Uh, anyway um so this one is is the first like probably purely invented character where like this staff guy was wasn't act isn't actually the right spot but it came from another place in the papyri but this is probably the first character where it's like just coming from pure uh out of thin air right so there's some other interesting stuff with this where if we look in, uh, let me move this zoom window here. And in manuscript A, which was in Frederick G. Williams' handwriting, um, you can see they're referencing sign of the fifth degree of the second, uh, it says first and that's crossed out second part. So this little guy, this kind of cross, um, but then that there's not really any explain. It's not explained here, right? But then there's another character that kind of has some similarities to that, and then that's where this verse four starts. Or I sought for mine appointment unto the priesthood, according to the appointment of God unto the fathers concerning the seed. And it's like okay, if we go okay. Let's go to the. Um, the fifth degree of the second part or first part. Um, okay, well, okay, we got Zul here. It doesn't exactly match that, but that's what they were referencing. And um, so, okay, what's going on in here? So there's all kinds of text, but you see it's it's referencing priesthood or lineage, the seed, lineage, or Abraham back to his father. And from Abraham's father back to his father, and so on. And so you can see the connections here, right? And and then there's these other characters that are maybe what what was used to kind of de like construct this compound character, right? So you get the dot for the I, so I sought. You get the slash for the zubzul alien of appointing, an appointment. Right, so you could kind of see how someone would be piecing this together. Um, this is one of the unique ones that has this. Um, so you, but this is kind of a common theme too, where like things start out somewhat coherent, but then it just quickly kind of goes off to a different system, and the systems change on the fly, basically. Um, like we'll see here on the next slide, we get these two characters, um, five and six. I was going to say, oh, just like yeah. if you were inventing something as you went along, how you'd right. be really enthusiastic at first, and then it would just kind of <laughs> right. peter out, right? <laughs> right. It's like really easy to come up with a, the concept of a complex yeah. system, but then you, you realize, oh, shoot, that would mean I have to write down thousands of characters, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So yes. just yep. don't have time for that. Yep. Um, yeah, so five and six here, there's really not much connection other than just like general themes. There's nothing like what's the connection we see on the first four characters. Um, but, and there's no core, like no matching character and there's not really any matching, um, 
translations in those books. But you can see how someone might construct these characters from stuff that was in the alphabets. Right, you've got like these circles of lines, um, the little curly Q thing here. So it's of the same style, but you can kind of see trying to match it up was pretty quickly abandoned. Um, yeah, like if you go and look at the definitions of all of these here that were given, it's just, just nothing really matches. Um, so we won't go through all of these. This, this one I just found interesting. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's pointed this out before, but um, this was like me putting on my Joseph hat. So this is a real character. And so I was just looking through the alphabets. Okay, what do we have any matches here? It's like, well, we've got Virgin, Zai, which is this um, character. And then you've got ministers not ordained of God, sinful. Okay, that could be like the idolatrous priest. And then you've also got the three virgins that were sacrificed on that altar that Abraham was describing. So if you look at the, the actual character, you see this little cup shape. Well, that kind of matches that. And then you get these lines that could be something similar to that, right? So you get the priest down here sacrificing three virgins, there's three of them, on this altar. Uh, so this was, this was the only one I could find where there was any, any sort of parallel going on. Um, but That's a good find, though, because, you know, I, I'm starting to believe now. That makes sense. I can see it. <laughs> right. So maybe, maybe that's what Joseph was thinking when he saw this. I don't know. Maybe uh, that's what he was doing. That it. You know those little ink the blocks that you're supposed to see something yeah. in? Yeah. This looks like he sees an ink yeah. block and he sees three virgins. That <laughs> Although I think he saw three virgins wherever he went. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, you, you're, you're seeing his psychology. Yeah. Virgin or not. Sure. That's right. Virgin or not. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that is really interesting. Huh? Yeah. So... Yeah, I wouldn't run too far with this kind of thinking, but it's maybe a glimpse into uh, Joseph's mind there. Well, and it uh, probably impressed his companions, honestly. Yeah. I can yeah. just see them going, oh, I, oh my goodness. You know, like three lines and three virgins. That makes sense. <laughs> that right. makes sense. I see it. Yeah, I can see them being really impressed. Right. So, um, you know, pretty quickly we get into just straight up regular characters the real Egyptian characters and just kind of more of a stream of consciousness as I think the story is picking up, you know, he's starting to get the narrative flow going and it just kind of takes off from there is kind of how I see it. Um, there's not probably not really referencing the uh, Gale or alphabets at this point. So at this point um, it might be considered a catalyst because he's not even paying attention to the characters. He, he's probably done with that. It's too time consuming. And he's just saying that means, and then he gives, you know, 20 pages, you know, let's speed this up. <laughs> right. Yeah. It Get almost seems like he said, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. And then he said, I can't figure it out. I just go can't ahead figure it out. It. Yeah. That's literally what it seems like. Honestly, I'm going to go excited, motivated at the beginning. And then just like too long, too long. We got to get this done. That is what it appears to be to me. Yeah. And why not go back to his tried and true method? Mm -hmm. yep. He generated 
you know, yep. 300,000 words or whatever that right. way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we, we'd wrap back around to the next line where we have some more invented characters. And what do you know? We see some more connection with the Gale. Um, and this one, out of all the invented characters, it's maybe the strongest one where you get you get the uh, Iota Tout S Zip Zai. <laughs> which sorry, is I don't mean to laugh. I just <laughs> the zip amount Z. of Z's. You, zip Z. There it is. Z do da. Zip yeah. Z da. <laughs> it's really satisfying to say. Uh, there's all kinds of. It is. Stuff. I like Z's. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So this one has a pretty strong correlation with the royal lineage of the Katumin, so like the female lineage going all the way back to the woman who first discovered Egypt while it was still underwater from the flood, right? And so that, that finds its way into the grammar and so kind of word for word sentences here uh, on these. Um, so anyway, um, that one's pretty good. And then the last kind of mostly invented one here, um, it's not a strong correlation, but you do see this is Abzul Eh. It's like this little bridge with the two, with the little dumbbell in there. Um, this, you, you see it's this sentence here, that, that order established by the fathers in the first generations, in the days of the first patriarchal reign, even in the reign of Adam and also Noah, his father, who blessed him. And then in the Gale, it says, for the fifth degree, in the days of the first patriarchs in the reign of Adam, in the days of the first patriarchs in the days of Noah, that's probably supposed to be Noah, in the blessings of Noah, in the blessings of the children of Noah, in the first blessings of men, the first blessings of the church. So there's kind of a correlation there, but, you know, Maybe he's thinking there's more, there's more going on with these extra pieces that are added to it. So this just kind of goes, you know, I need to invent a character, but I kind of have to base it on something, right? I don't know. This just really shows the imagination he had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. He was a incredible genius. I'm not kidding. Yeah. So... It gets a little looser here, just talking kind of like general chronology stuff, um, but it's worth pointing out. There's something there. Um, and I think that's really it. Yeah, so that's it with the rest. The majority of it is the real hieratic characters and just narrative. So, so just looking at a real character. Real characters and made right. up characters mixed right. together. Right. And attributing right. a narrative to it. Right. Saying, this is what it says. Okay. Real right. and made up. That's very, a very interesting distinction. I, again, I think maybe most people aren't, aren't really aware of that, that there were some real and some fabricated. Yeah. And well, fabricated narratives. <laughs> right. I mean, you could say, let's, let's some, put our apologist hat on, like, well, you can't say for sure that those characters are invented. Maybe there really was a pure language. And that's what he's seeing, right? Uh, we have no evidence for that. I mean, they're not uh, Egyptian, but we say invented. They're they're not Egyptian. We'll just say that. <laughs> correct. 
that, that, that goes back to, to 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 what John Lundwell said, though. You know, when there's nothing there and you can make up anything, uh, and you're arguing from lack of evidence, there's always more lack of evidence from there's which to argue from. Always more lack of. Therefore, evidence. you will never come to a conclusion because you can just keep making up a reason that it's not there to make your argument. Uh, yeah, like. It, it all depends on the question you're asking. If you're asking what's possible, literally anything, right? <laughs> if you're asking what's plausible, okay, we probably narrow it down a little bit, but I think the question that's most important for me is what's most likely? And I think that narrow, usually narrows it down quite a bit. Um, okay, so are the translations correct? We've kind of this is supposed to be the big reveal at the end, but um, <laughs> we talked about it all the way through. Hey, no, this yeah. is great. We need to bring it all home and make everybody right. understand for sure. So um, this is coming from the, the next couple of quotes are coming from this essay from the church. Um, and if you actually go and look on, there's like an introduction to the gospel topics essays. And uh, well, I, when I took the screen capture, at least a year and a half ago, this is what it said. Who knows what it says now? But um, these are, they stated it is approved by the First Presidency. So if they're trying to, maybe there was some pushback at first. We're like, oh, are these really from the church? Mm -hmm. But it does. It did say these are approved by the First Presidency. So it doesn't say the whole Q15, so maybe it's not doctrine. But um, pretty good, if you ask me. So um, the first one is in regards to the Gale and the alphabets. They say neither the rules nor the translations in the grammar book correspond to those recognized by Egyptologists today. So they're not saying, oh, they're wrong. They're just saying it's not recognized by Egyptologists. So it's not right, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> It's so, a nice way to say, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that they're not, yeah. Yeah. But it Nobody, gives you hope that maybe someday, maybe new evidences will come to light and maybe Egyptologists will understand that this might be correct. It's that absence of evidence again, but hope for evidence. It's implied, I think. If there's a system like this that's ever discovered, I would be totally shocked. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I would go back to church. <laughs> Just my man, that would be incredible. Yeah, but, it would be yeah, pretty I'm not, incredible. I'm not holding my breath. Um, <laughs> so, and just a reminder, you know, from the official history of the church, these are attributed to Joseph. Um, mm -hmm. the, the alphabets and the grammar, it's even in, one of them's even in his handwriting, okay? So, apologists do a lot of legwork to get him out of the room when those books are being created. Um, yeah. And then you have to say that the history of the church is also wrong. Um, but, you know, Willard Richards was likely informed by W.W. Phelps, who was in the room. So it's like, why would Phelps be saying that, oh, Phelps was the one that did it, but no, I'm going to say Joseph did it. Like, yeah. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, so anyway, the next one is in regards to the book of Abraham. So... None of the characters on the papyrus fragments mentioned Abraham's name or any of the events recorded in the book of Abraham. Mormon and non-Mormon apolog 
the Egyptologists agree that the characters on the fragments do not match the translation given in the Book of Abraham. So there's no disagreement on that. I think what they like to disagree on is um, should those characters be matched up with the English translation, right? From the evidence we just saw, it's like, well, obviously. But if you don't know all of that, you can kind of be like any argument can kind of make sense to you, right? If you haven't gone exactly. through the data. So, um, and yeah, again, so, this is from the church essay. What, this is, what yeah. Elder Igloo just read was from the official church essay. And they're coming flat out and saying, nothing matches. However. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so the next sentence there was, scholars have identified the papyrus fragments as part of standard funerary texts that were deposited with, mummy with the mummified bodies. So makes total sense. The Egyptian religion, they have their own whole different religious thought process going on. And so these are Egyptian religious documents. Makes sense, right? Um, so they're standard funerary texts. The, these fragments date to between the third century uh, and the first century BCE, uh, long after Abraham lived. So this is like 1,000, 2,000 years after Abraham would have lived. Uh, if you go by like the Bible's chronology. You know, so, why didn't they just stop the essay right here? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's nothing else to say. The character, we all agree the characters don't match. We all agree that it's funerary text. We all agree it was written thousands of years after Abraham. Well, that's it's not, not a very what faithful it says. Note. It's not a faithful note to end on it. We need something <laughs> else, something to hang your hat on, that there might be something more. Yeah. We gotta we gotta start moving from specific claims to well this doesn't necessarily disprove it right that's kind of where I think we'll see that some more yeah it kind of does it's not what it says it is doesn't mean it's not what it says it is no <laughs> well if you if you live in the world of I just need a possibility yes if that's all you need you yes, always so have that no matter how crazy. Exactly. It's like the famous quote. So you're saying there's a chance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a chance. I don't even see a chance here at, at this. Yeah. You, you know, you can make up excuses, <laughs> but an excuse is not a chance or a possibility. Um, you know, these answers have to be possible. But when someone says, I translated this, it's this, it was written by Abraham, it was, uh, it's this whole story. And I found it with these mummies and it's, you know, this is what it is. And then you look at it and every single thing you said it was, it is not, removes all possibility of it being anything else. Yeah. I mean, to anybody who's not emotionally invested in a certain conclusion, it's like, okay, done. It's, yeah. Done deal. It, yep, that's even if you try to like come up with other explanations, it's like, well, why would you do that? It's just. You don't do that for anybody else who's wrong, right? If I were a lawyer in a court of law, there is no way I would push this and tell my client, oh, you got a great case here that this is what you said once you have this evidence. I mean, you yeah. would not press that case. But Yeah, I mean, so obviously there's people that know all this information and still have some sort of faithful interpretation of it. Um but if you're, 
I think the vast majority of people don't really understand what's going on here. So okay. there's, I could make up some numbers, but I think most people, once they learn all the information, they're like, oh, it's not what I thought, right? But okay. then, so just to say that there's some people that can make it work, therefore we should hide the information from everybody else. I don't think it's fair. It wasn't fair to me. So, um, yeah. anyway, um, so just referencing again, the, uh, even in the, the canonized version today, it says it's coming from the papyrus. These are the writings of Abraham written by his own hand. So pretty hard to wiggle out of this one. Um, it's, I, I don't envy someone who's having to make this one work. Um, so a little bit of like, okay, what the heck is this thing actually? If it's, if this isn't Abraham on the couch, what is it? It's the breathing permit of Hor, Horus um, from the Ptolemaic era funerary text. Um, so it's written for a priest whose name is Hor. And he's going to carry this document with him into the afterlife and it'll help him navigate, give him the right to breathe again and uh, make it to where, make it to his gods, right? So to to, to say, oh, this is some, this is Abraham, it's pretty disrespectful, you know, to that different religion. Um, but that's what it is. It's a, a breathing permit. And so, and so the mummy that's holding this is, is whore? That's, yes. And, and he's Presumably. sitting there holding this. This is his chant or spell that gets him to the next next world and we turn that chant or spell into a faithful book about Christian Abraham text. and his yeah. interaction with God. Right. Right. Yeah. So and he's from the Ptolemaic area era, which is the Greek pharaohs, uh three two hundred, you know uh, Cleopatra's the last Ptolemaic, uh, so right. uh, we're we're talking very close to zero BC or hundred or mm -hmm. two hundred years before that. Right. Yep. So um, there's there's various examples of breathing permits. Um, I don't know what time. I mean, I'm not an Egyptologist, so this is just kind of like Wikipedia level research, but. Um, it's fairly well understood by scholars of what these things say and what they're for. Um, so here's a pretty fairly similar example where you, you know, the, 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 there's a story here in the text and they might decide to draw a different part of it. Right. So it's like, if you had a story about Santa Claus, you might draw him with some elves, but you also might choose to draw it in the beginning of him with Mrs. Claus or something, right? But mm -hmm. it's the same story. So here is, um, you know, the deceased meeting Osiris and then also being judged, the judgment scene, which we'll, you'll recognize is similar to Facsimile 3. Um, and there may, there may have been other drawings there that were, were missing. Are the facsimiles still printed in the scriptures in new edition? I haven't opened scriptures for a while. Are they still um, in there? 
And have uh, there been any changes to them now that we know that some things were scratched out and edited? And I, don't I just wonder because so. we all spent hours, you know, looking at those. They were the only interesting thing to read in your scriptures when you were sitting in sacrament meeting. And I just wonder with all this information and knowledge out there now about this, are they still in there? Yes. Does it still say this is, you know, this is Abraham. I. Yep. Yep. They're still here. <laughs> um. Wow. If I had to guess, those would be the first things to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would think um, so, too. But it's so problematic because the core of Mormonism is right there in, you know, in those writings and, and not necessarily anywhere else. So that's going to be a they delicate job. Remove, they were able to remove the DNA, you know, from the DNA. Uh, yeah, easily. And say, you know, yeah. that they're now among the primary ancestors. Right. I certainly think they would go in and fix this uh, yeah. when they know it's not what what they're like it's harder to, to understand a lot of people really do not know and so why fix it if if most people yeah. don't understand right yeah it would call it you know they've got to strategize if removing it is going to cause more people to find out about it maybe it's not the best thing to do for the institution that's right barbara streisand syndrome well and then they kind of do this they go into these theories about the missing scroll, you know, that's what he was translating, but your information here completely debunks that. And then the whole catalyst theory, you know, where you just touch something and everything pops into your head, which actually might be kind of accurate. It was definitely popping into his head. So I right. mean, those are things that people can definitely, uh, you know, there's a chance. Those are things I think that people who do know there's a problem uh, gravitate toward that way of thinking. Right. The catalyst theory is the same thing as making it up. It's just one is supernatural. Right. All right. So, um, but yeah, I, I guess I should mention that the, the church, the church essay makes room for both theories. Mm. It doesn't abandon the missing scroll theory, but the Joe Smith papers facsimile edition, which uh, this big book here, ah. that, that one pretty much blows the missing scroll theory out of the water, which yeah, it's the only honest way to approach it to, i mean in my opinion it's right so it's we're just left with catalyst well. we're left with catalyst and that's such an open-ended loosey-goosey theory that it, it could work for anyone you know you can the, look at that however you want the, the problem i have with the catalyst theory is that it makes a liar out of god god oh, told joseph smith this was written by the hand of abraham yeah. he told him that it goes back to those days that it's the actual writings so if you go with the catalyst theory, you you turn God into a liar. and Or if you take the most charitable view, you could say Joseph had a tendency to embellish real mm -hmm. revelations. Mm -hmm. So then you're like, hmm, what is actually true in this? Yeah. That's like the most yeah. charitable thing you could, interpretation you could take. Yeah, or he misunderstood. You know, here's some information, and he yeah, misunderstood man, he that this is absolutely <laughs> accurate. We're from, yeah, but they'll never say that. There's lots of possibilities that let you say, so there's a chance. So, yeah, that's all anybody needs just one little possibility. Right. Okay, let's see here. Um, another wall of text. We don't have to, we've pretty much talked through all of this just now, but maybe yeah. just to point out that, um, the S this so this is more stuff from the essay where this I think this first one is important, so I'll read it. So the essay says, some have assumed 
that the hieroglyphs adjacent to and surrounding facsimile one must be the source of the text of the Book of Abraham. But this claim rests on the assumption that a vignette and its adjacent text must be associated in meaning. In fact, it was not uncommon for ancient Egyptian vignettes to be placed some distance from their associated commentary. So this is a nod to the missing scroll theory, but it, it's not based on that assumption, right? It's based on the Kirtland, the Book of Abraham manuscripts. So I, I just don't know what they're talking about with this. Yeah. Yeah. And by that, you mean that we have confusing. the manuscript, we have the character, the character matches the text, and and it's the text, it says this is the text from this symbol on the manuscript. So it didn't matter where that is on the text, whether it's next to it or not. We know it came from those symbols, and we know right where those symbols are in the text. Right. There happens to be also... Difference. Right. All those characters happen to be right next to the facsimile, which also makes sense, but it's not based on that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the next one is uh, it's it's likely futile to assess Joseph's ability to translate papyri when we now have only a fraction of the papyri we have we, we uh, he had in his possessions. Possession. Sorry. Um, so, again, missing scroll stuff here but right. but your research what you've shown us tonight completely blows that out of the water it was obvious that what they were putting in their grammar book and their alphabet book were from the scroll pieces that we have yeah you can see them going back and forth it's, they were looking at those fragments yeah i'll say it's dan's research dan vogel's okay. research yes, yes. dan's, dan's research <laughs> that's right dan we, we need to attribute dan vogel and all of this yeah. we're just trying to water it down for the masses but but yeah yes. i hope everybody understands that that going through all these translations back and forth and the grammar books and the making up of the characters and filling in it all shows that they were looking at something that we can verify they were looking at this and making a translation back and forth so this argument um, missing yeah. pieces we don't have what they were looking at we do have you know, pretty, pretty positive. We have what they were looking at and a lot of documentation to back that up with the grammar book and the alphabet book and all of that. Well, that, that statement is just completely wrong uh, to say it's <laughs> futile to assess someone's ability to translate something when we only have a fraction of it. Well, we can certainly assess their ability to translate that fraction that we do have. And if they get the yeah. fraction that we do have wrong, we don't have to go any further. <laughs> You right. can safely assume they probably didn't do the rest of it correct either. <laughs> and it also misses the fact that the there are translations in the alphabet version A, which is in Joseph's handwriting. So, and we know those are wrong. Right. There's also the facsimiles, which we'll get to this facsimile three later. It's like it Joseph is translating those characters to say that that figure is so and so as the characters above their head say it right so right let's grant that oh, okay we don't know anything about the book of abraham manuscripts and stuff it's like still any instance we have of joseph translating something it's incorrect yeah, just, every instance yeah <laughs> i just don't know what you do with that you know um so the last one here uh mormon and non-mormon apologists uh, sorry, Egyptologists agree that the characters on the fragments do not match the translation given in the Book of Abraham. 
though there is not unanimity, even among non-Mormon scholars, about the proper inter interpretation of the vignettes on these fragments. So uh, the rest isn't really important, but um, like trying to make room for like, oh, there's there's slight disagreement among scholars, so therefore maybe Joseph's interpretation is within that bubble, right? Of like a possible valid interpretation. But it's like, here's the Egyptologist's interpretation. They may disagree. Oh, this might mean, you know, this or that. But then Joseph's like way, 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 like many, many standard deviations away from that. So it's like, it's kind of a disingenuous thing to insinuate that. Yeah, um, that's absolutely, th this is Mormonese at its finest. Where you, <laughs> to a T. <laughs> where, where you try to throw, cast doubt on something that there's really no doubt. It, yeah. They said it right up front. We all agree this does not match the translation. Yeah. All right. So um, last section here, probably the most fun, I think, is the facsimiles. Um, so are we good on time? <laughs> yeah. I don't even know oh, yeah. We're fine. Let's do it. Okay. Let's all do right. it. Okay, so um, we have more um, Joseph Smith journal entries. Uh, this is now in eight, 1842. So <laughs> the whole Missouri thing happened. He went to jail. He got out, started a whole new city, and we're back at it with the Book of Abraham, right? So um, he's, he's giving directions about how to make these printing plates of the facsimiles, right? So he would be the one describing how to fill in that missing portion of facsimile one to get the guy with the knife, which isn't actually there, right? So this is what a lead printing plate would look like. And I'm kind of imagining, geez, how you had to draw, carve that mirrored. Great skill they had uh, to do that. But uh, yes, yeah, so let's look at what this what the restored part portion maybe should have been. Um, so yeah, you see the pencil marks here. Of, it's like, okay, make it like this when you do the printing plate, right? You see the guy with the dagger over his shoulder there. Um, but this, this is actually what we get in the canonized version where the priest's arm is missing and he's holding that knife out. Which I always thought it was, I thought it was a feather for the longest time as a kid. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, so this is Joseph's interpretation of that. Um, so based on what we know, what Egyptologists know about, uh, Egyptian religion, this should be Anubis. There's no question. This is Anubis. He's always the dark figure and he's got the little sash, right? Which you can still see there. Um, and he is the one that does the embalming and gets you ready for afterlife stuff. I don't know everything about it, but it's Anubis, right? And he's got the jackal head. Um, all of this is covered extensively in that Robert Rittner Mormon Stories interview, uh, that like multi, multi-hour series, which was amazing. Um, but here's one, like, like with pictures of uh, Nephi or Santa Claus, you know, we know who they're trying to depict, but you might depict Nephi with a spear or he might be holding something else. Right. But it's like you can't make Nephi into um, like Socrates 
or something, right? It's a, that is not a valid like variation, right? So one potential variation here is that Anubis is just, you know, holding his hand over the body, kind of reanimating them. And um, maybe there's Osiris's wife in the form of a bird being impregnated by um, Osiris, who would be the person on the couch. Um, so yeah, I just kind of described this already, but Anubis is like the, um, well, let, let's read this, this prayer to Anubis. It says, O glorious Anubis, Lord of, sa of the sacred, we call on you, the jackal god of the dead and embalming. Come to the aid of our dear friend. He has left our world and entered into yours. We humbly ask that you guide and protect him. Bestow on him wisdom so that he can make his way to Osiris. We pray that you remember all the good deeds that he, he did here on earth. It is our hope that he finds his way to paradise, to a place where he will be reborn and spend eternity of all earth, uh, and spend eternity free of all earthly sufferings. Keep him safe, oh, unbiased Anubis. I don't know what that last word says. Um, but yeah, so this is a prayer of Anubis, please come and take our loved one and get them to Osiris so they can, you know, be happy and whatever, be resurrected. So yeah, it's like, uh, like Dr. Lundwall was saying, it's like eating chili out of the, the sacrament trays, right? Okay. <laughs> to try right. to call this guy an idolatrous priest who's trying to murder Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no one knows any better, though. It sounds really yeah. good. And we all believed it. And it gave us the chills when we would look at that in our scriptures when we were kids. So we believed it. Yeah. I just got a little bit of chills reading that. Maybe a new decision. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. So, you know, this is a very common scene uh, in temple walls and other papyrus. So, there's many variations on, a, on the theme. Uh, the one that Robert Rittner pointed out was that might match most closely with where you see the legs are not wrapped up and they're spread out, kind of indicating that he's starting to move. And then, you know, you've got uh, Anubis there, and then you've also got the bird right above. So a potential strong match where he, he was saying it was like maybe a potentially very sacred um, rendition of the scene and then here is the that's the actual picture of they call it the chapel of osiris so this is kind of what this is based on is that and that's the actual stone carving there it took me a long time to find that um what robert Whitner, what robert was referring to uh in that podcast but i found the actual image there yeah, no, that's great. That's a yeah. great comparison. I love that. Interesting. Um, here's some, <laughs> just some other ones that I thought were fun. Uh, you get the impregnating of the bird, which I, I believe it represents the wife of Osiris. So yeah, the, the phallic thing was like a sign of like fertility. And so that's kind of where that's coming from. I, I never realized that there was a phallic there. Um in this picture so he's actually impregnating the bird something to that effect yeah that's what i gathered from so it's a depiction of bestiality here. Yeah, well the church is yeah, always very symbolic you know this is all symbolic yeah. Yeah. all symbolic 
Right. But this is, you know, this is what they believe. This was sacred to them. Yeah. Uh, so um, I just have this here in the slides for completeness. This is from, you know, book of uh, Mormon infographics.com. This is probably, most people have probably seen this before, but it just kind of compares Josephine's interpretation to the Egypt, modern Egyptologist interpretation. And you can see they're quite different. Uh, we won't go through all of them here. You can pause and read them. But uh, yeah, the, I will say the apologists, the two hits that they point to is the canopic jars, figures five through eight as being uh, like representing like the four corners of the earth. And there's like some connection of like those gods in some story went to like the four cardinal directions or something. So kind of a loose connection there. Um, but, you know, everything about it, it's like, doesn't, it's more of like, there's four things. So I'm going to think four cardinal directions. It's crazy easy to coincidence to see. Um, and then number nine, the, the alligator down there, I think was, Oh, uh, let's see. Joseph said it's the idolatrous, idolatrous god of Pharaoh. And it is an Egypt, an uh, Egyptian god, god of Horus. Um, so not hard to get that one to line up because <laughs> like they're all gods in these uh, <laughs> facsimiles anyway. So, um, but you always have to take that in context of the misses, right? So it's like if you have 80 misses but two hits it's more like a shot somebody shot the target with a shotgun than they actually hit the bullseye right yeah that's a common theme you just kind of yeah. splatter the wall and there might be one thing and then that's the thing that everybody focuses on right right so um you know here's maybe a mormon kind of how a mormon could relate to this is like Imagine you a th in a thousand years, you saw this picture of uh, Moroni burying his treasure chest. That fits in the picture, right? There's a hole there. He's praying that some God is going to protect his treasure. But once you, if you actually know the story behind it, you're like, no, that is not correct, right? It's not like a potential valid interpretation. It's just wrong, right? Um, that's how that's how I would try to explain it um, if you're not familiar with Egyptian gods, right? So a couple other key points is the lion couch is a sacred thing, right? That's that's where you put your loved ones so that mm -hmm. they will be taken care of in the afterlife. You don't use it as a sacrif sacrificial thing, right? So that's that doesn't really fit. Um, Anubis. He, you're praying to Anubis to help your loved one. Why would he be holding a knife? Doesn't fit, right? Um, so, yeah, it, you got to stretch things just to crazy lengths to try to say, like, there's something real there, right? Okay, facsimile two. Um, this one's This one's pretty interesting, too. So... Again, we have um, a, a journal entry by of Joseph saying that 
he's giving instructions concerning the arrangement of the large cut, illustrating the principles of astronomy. And if you go and look at the explanations on this one, they're all about the planets and Kolob and um, how things move. And so pretty certain that he's talking about this one, right? So he's given the instructions on, you know, how it should be drawn and presumably also how you should restore that missing part, which we're about to see, right? Because they didn't have all of the original of this one. So if we look at what's on the left here is was in those Kirtland Egyptian papers. Um, and it might be hard to see, but in these missing areas, it's drawn in pencil and it's kind of scribbled. It's like indicating this is where the papyrus was damaged exactly right here. And that's why it's missing. Um, so let's compare that with the actual canonized version. So all the little pieces in red here would have had to been restored from what's on the left. So let's try to see where, where they came up with this stuff. Where did Joseph get, you know, uh, these characters and these images? Was he maybe restoring it as it should have been? So the first one here, he puts uh, a little guy on the boat. Forgive me, I don't know all the correct terminology and <laughs> what these actually mean. Um, but he puts this figure here, which comes from that other scroll that he had. So just grabbed a picture and from somewhere else and just put it in there. Okay. Then we get um, the thing in the middle here. He takes those heads and says, put them down here. Okay. And this is really confusing. It's like you got two bodies, but then it's like misaligned with the legs. But you can see it's just a straight copy of that, what was already there. Um, and then in the lower corner of that frame, you get this little table, which um, they're, Egyptologists refer to it as like a libation table, where you would put your offerings to the gods. Um, and that is comes from facsimile one in that bottom right corner. Um, all right, let's see. Oops, sorry. Next one. Now we get some actual characters. And these come from, so in the blue there, that's what we were looking at for the, the characters that were in the manuscripts for the Book of Abraham. And then just the next, the rest of the row, um, here, you take that, you flip it over upside down, and then each group of three is just inserted right in that facsimile. So it, if you look, look at it for a minute, you'll see it, but, um, yeah, it's direct, uh, just a direct copy. And, um, I'm not sure what the thought was behind flipping it upside down, whether it was like, oh, this you read this upside down or if it was like trying to disguise where they're coming from. I don't know. 
But so basically, they're filling in the missing parts of that facsimile with just pieces from other scrolls that they have. And you can absolutely yeah. see where they move them in. So it's not like an inspired thing. It's like, oh, that'll fit there. I'm going to draw that here. I'm going to move that there and to have a complete facsimile. And it's so yeah. clear. Our, our listeners can't see this, but it's so clear that they're just taking pieces from some of the other scrolls and just kind of shoving them in there which probably if you were to read it makes no sense whatsoever right absolutely makes no sense whatsoever what they're yeah. what they're putting there and you like can a imagine, frankenstein <laughs> right like if we imagine the the individual who's making these printing plates if joseph just came in and said like i, I don't know just grab something from somewhere right that doesn't really make sense, right? Yeah, just throw um, it all in there, but it looks good. It looks really cool, right, to the untrained eye, because it's all right. cool characters, like, so it doesn't have to mean anything. That scenario for me doesn't make sense. What makes sense is Joseph saying, maybe writing them down or having someone write them down and say, these should go here and these ones go here, right? What would uh, the printer know? He would look to the, the prophet, seer, and revelator, the prophet, the translator. Yeah. How do we restore this thing, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just saying that everyone's just making stuff up and Joseph's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Everybody else can make up stuff. I don't, what do yeah, I know? No, that doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't fit, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, another strange one. This actually comes from the manuscript area. And you flip it again. And then it gets copied twice in that perimeter there. Uh, so just, just strange, strange kind of behavior. I used to study these, like seriously, in the scriptures, because I was so bored during sacrament meeting, but I never picked up on any of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, the fill in the rest of that curve, we're again taking from the Book of Abraham Manuscripts uh, area and just kind of fitting them right in there. And uh, yeah, copy and paste is strong with this one. Um, so that's kind of all the sources there. But what I found interesting was there was some really good examples of what this is. So this is a hypocephalus, I think is how you say it. And it's supposed to be basically like a little pillow that goes underneath the mummy's head. And, you know, it would have obviously some religious meaning to it. Um, so, yeah, period, uh, placed under the heads of the dead, the circle was believed to magically protect the deceased, cause the head and body to be enveloped in light and warmth, making the deceased divine. It replaced the earlier cow amulet. So kind of an evolution there in their uh, religion. But there is, oops, there is a really good example of this for comparison in a museum. So obviously there's always variations on the theme, right? But this one is from a very similar time period when these would have been, like 300 AD. Um, no, wait, that should be uh, BC, I think. I think you correct that. Um, but, but yeah, so, so I, it's a similar time period. I think that's just a typo. But anyway, um, if you look at, there's a lot of correlation here. Like you have the cow, the upside down, sons of Horus here, the guy in the chair, 
right? Um, so, so a lot of it's matching up. So we can maybe get an idea of what should have been in those damaged areas. So let's look at each one in more detail. So this one might be one for the apologists. There should be a boat there. But oh, there is a boat. Out. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, there. Oh, yeah. See, again, throw it at the wall, and there it is. Right. Well, wow. if you presumably, if you knew the actual meaning of this stuff, it'd be different. It'd be different, right? Correct. It has some different meaning to what's going on here. But you know, it's all going to be somewhat related, right? This is all related to afterlife stuff and Egyptian gods, right? Oops. Um, so the libation table there. Probably should have been some actual characters. And then this weird head that got slapped down down there. Really <laughs> should have been these these four heads here. Right. Um, so <laughs> that one's really funny to me. That's the alien head. That's why a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of Mormons believe it, my parents included, believe in aliens, because it's in the it's in the book of Abraham. Yeah. All right. So then um this is the the best I could do on the perimeter here. It's just me looking at it, you know. But if you look, you can see if if one could read these characters, you it's probably saying this the same thing or very something very similar. Like you see this guy with his hands up, that's there. He's not it's not a perfect match, but you see a lot of the similar characters in a similar order. Um so if anyone knows that there's like a translation of this for real, that would be very interesting to compare. Um, but you'll notice as soon as you get to where it was damaged, um, oh, yeah, you see like cut the little flag there, but as soon as you get to where it's damaged, it's a totally different type of character. It's like demotic. It's like a different style altogether, right? So it's like that didn't get restored even close. Um, this, we won't go into this, but this is all of the connections between the facsimile two and the Gale descriptions of the different planet names, like we were saying before, like yeah. Low Ace, Cleef, Lus, Isis, uh, all that good stuff. So, uh, you can check this out if you're interested. Uh, and this, this is just more reference to that, kind of showing all the different uh, degrees to that. Um, and then again, here we have kind of the comparison of the descriptions. And uh, yeah, nothing really matches up all that much here at all, really. Uh, but we won't belabor the point on this one. Okay, last one, facsimile three. So this one presumably should have been at the end of the breathing permit of horror. Um, and it's the judgment scene basically. Oops, sorry, my mouse wheel keeps doing two here. <laughs> but uh, Robert Rittner showed uh, a really good uh, comparison for this one. And I just stitched it together here. So you can see it's got all basically all the same elements as that uh, picture. And uh, it's really, really interesting. Um, but then when we get to, we notice one big difference here, right? Anubis versus the little spike head guy. 
Yeah, the alien again. They're all over. Oh, yeah, and I always this guy, this little character always fascinated me. Looking at this as a kid, uh, but now we know that should have been Anubis. Mm -hmm. And there's something really interesting in the printing plate for this. If you zoom in on Anubis, you see these tool marks here, of where the snout was probably there. Whoever was making it was just copying the actual uh, papyrus. And then maybe Joseph came along and said, ah, oh, that needs to be removed, that part there. That's not actually right. And, you know, maybe there was an ear there. You kind of see the, the little mark there or where the, the divot would have been between the ears. Um, so I think, I can't remember who it was, but someone who has seen this in person is like, yeah, that you can tell that the snout should have been there or it was there and was chopped off. So you can uh, see it kind of chiseled out on the plate is what you're saying. It was put right. on the plate with, yeah. And then that makes sense. The little alien antenna is one of the ears. Right. Yeah. Huh. So it's like, why did that little spike get left? Who knows? Maybe it looked strange enough to kind of just pass it. Um, you wouldn't want to have two ears there, right? No. Yeah. If you... You can see kind of where their, their tool was smoothing out these areas where there shouldn't be any ink. Right. But then there's just this different thing going on right there. Yeah, you can see right there where the snap would have been. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yep. And then um, this is a good one here where in the explanation for the facsimile, let's just take figure two. So figure two, which is keyed to this figure here. And then just some, some characters right above them it says figure two, King Pharaoh, whose name is given in the characters above his head. All right. So this is a canonized translation of Egyptian, right? <laughs> that is incorrect. Um, and that is, that is Isis. So that's a female anyway. Um, yeah. So there's a couple instances of that in here. But he's basically, you know, Osiris is Abraham sitting on Pharaoh's throne for some reason. And yeah, it's just, it has nothing to do with what's going on there. Um, and just putting this again for completeness for all the different explanations. And uh, I think, yeah, we're pretty much at the conclusion here. Um, so, I mean, in the end, Joseph Smith claimed he was translating Egyptian. That's just, that's just a fact, right? Um, and he was arranging a grammar. He was making alphabets. And the church now admits that none of that's right. You know, they try to distance those things, but they acknowledge that nothing is actually correct about that in terms of Egyptology. Um, he claimed that that breathing permit was about Abraham but it's not, <laughs> it's just a regular old funerary document. The areas where the characters were damaged and facsimile or manuscript, whatever, they're wrong. They're not the right stuff. Um, the interpretations of the facsimiles are way out there. Um, and then there was like deliberate changes to Anubis. So maybe he was thinking it should have been something else. The Egyptians corrupted it, who knows, but he was consciously trying to you know, alter what was there. Um, so I don't know, for, for me, it's like, 
you've got a prophet who's claiming to translate ancient records. We have the ancient record. It's not translated right. I don't know what you do with that, right? <laughs> you, you can't, I don't know. You can't maintain, I just, I, not for me, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Right. Um, right. And then why would God author such confusion in that way, right? It's like, you could easily have not inspired, inspired him in a different way. If, if God had something that he really needed to get out, uh, that's in the book of Abraham, he could have done it while Joseph was doing the, uh, the Bible translation or at any other point. Right. Uh, I don't know. It just seems, seems like the foresight to do this would is, is this doesn't make sense. Right. If you're, if you can see into the future, you wouldn't do this, right? Uh, you wouldn't do it this way. Um, and then obviously we have to, so for me, the important thing for me uh, is this is pretty clear. So should I really give the benefit of the doubt on other things? Uh, we don't have the golden plates, right? But based on this, do I really give the benefit of the doubt? Or do I need more than just believing it? To me, it's clear, right? It's just, you don't, you don't keep believing stuff that's just proven wrong when there's not evidence to support it. So yeah, that's where this led me. The key to me here is of all the, uh, you know, he, he, he did several translations, supposedly Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. Book of Abraham, Kinderhook plates, uh, the uh, uh, what are a couple of the, uh, the 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 Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. All of them are wrong. We know the tr Joseph Smith translation came from uh, uh, that he was copying it out of a, a Bible commentary, Clark's com Bible commentary. The Kinderhook plates yeah. we know were a hoax. Yet he translated them um, when they weren't even real. Uh, we can see the Book of Abraham here. We've got the Book of Mormon that we know has so many problems with it, so many anachronisms. We know it's a 19th century production and not uh, an ancient record. How much more does it take before you say the guy's making this up? Uh, what yeah. more could you ask for than what we have here with the Book of Abraham? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a... It, the church would not buy this document, even knowing Mark Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The church would not purchase this document if someone showed up with this and they had their assessors look at this. They would not buy this document. And they bought the Salamander letter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you could find religious value in these things, the, the English text that was produced. You can find value in, I'm sure if I read the Egyptian, the translation of the Egyptian religion stuff, I could probably liken that unto myself as well. It just doesn't really have any bearing on historicity. And that will, that's what was originally being claimed. So if we get to shift what's being claimed, I think everybody has the right to renegotiate their relationship with it. You know, it's, it's just, it's a different claim. If, then, if the catalyst theory is a thing.
supercharged. And I think when we go back to thinking about the gospel topic essays and all the gospel topic essays, what Landon and I have found as we go through them with Backyard Professor is that they do try to make these claims. Or first they say, here are the problems. Then they try to give you ways that you can, you know, so there's a chance. But then the final paragraph is always really the only thing you can do is have faith or the only thing you can do is pray about it. So that speaks to what you're saying. You find religious meaning in it. If you do, nobody can argue with you. It's not based on facts, not at all. It's just based on what you feel internally. And that's fine for you. (laughs) Don't try to make other people live based on that because those are not my facts or my feelings. So, but it is interesting. It always just ends up with the only true way to know is to pray or to have faith. And that really is the only true way because the facts don't back it up at all. Yeah, I just, well, we don't, we won't get into epistemology here, but yeah, there, there's, <laughs> re- there's good reasons to think that feelings aren't um, telling you what's, what accurately describes reality always. So that's a whole other topic, but. It is yeah. a whole other topic and it's a growing topic. We did an episode with Colby Reddish on that, that we're going to put out pretty soon, but it is important to understand that. And I think the more people do understand that feelings are not facts, they can kind of change their point of view a little bit because I think for a long time we were we we equated the two. We were taught to equate the two from a very young age. So it's hard to kind of remove yourself from that. So now this has just yeah. been wonderful. Any final thoughts, Landon? And then I think we'll wrap this up. But it's boy, it's been so good. And I've heard this presentation twice. <laughs> and I still just absolutely riveted every time. Any final thoughts, Landon? It, it to me it's just that the book of Abraham is absolutely the linchpin in in this if uh, i mean it's 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 like elder blue just said what else does it take then we have the actual document we know how you know scientists know how to translate this and what it says and it doesn't say what it was claimed to say it's not a translation in that case there no one can argue that this is the church is not even arguing that so they're even saying we we agree it's not a translation of this uh no more to be said to me yeah Woo. he drops the mic he drops the mic so uh well this has just been wonderful i want to really thank elder igley for coming on and this incredible presentation and i would I would love to see this given some other places too, because I think it really, you know, it's scholarly, you get into it, you start understanding what's happening, and then it's so clear, you can't really come to any other conclusions. So so I hope our viewers and listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed this. And don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you're seeing on Mormonish. And, and if you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, you can hit the donation bell. And if you would like to support us uh, financially, that would be super awesome. And we have links uh, to PayPal and to Venmo in the show notes. And we just appreciate everybody that that does um support us and in every way in every possible way we absolutely love our viewers and listeners and um we will sign off from this amazing book of abraham presentation um for now thank you elder igloo thank you landon bye everybody thanks thanks for joining us for another episode of mormonish we really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.